0: hear that song right before I preach, if we start to get some understanding of how great our God is and how small we are, now we might get ready to start worshiping. Maybe. All right. open your Bibles again with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 1. I've titled the message this morning, How Shall This Be? Lord willing, when we've finished our study in the book of Philippians... I've been planning on beginning a series of messages on questions that we find in the Bible. I'd like to look at those questions and hopefully see some answers to them, see the gospel in those questions and answers. So we'll let this message this morning be the first one in that series on these questions we find in Scripture. How shall this be? Now the birth of Christ the Savior is a great wonder. The eternal Almighty God became flesh and he still didn't stop being God. When God became flesh, when he became a man, he became the God-man. He's 100% God and 100% man. Now that arithmetic doesn't work, does it? It's heavenly arithmetic. It's arithmetic of the Savior. He's 100% God and 100% man. That tells us right off the bat what a miracle this is. What a miracle this man, the Lord Jesus Christ is. It's a miracle that Almighty God could be born in the flesh. That he be conceived in the womb of a virgin as a microscopic embryo. How great thou art. Yet that great one became an embryo in the virgin's womb. You think of that. What a miracle. Almighty God was born in the flesh. Now, we should remember this. Last Sunday, December 25th is not the birthday of our Lord Jesus. God would not allow us to know the date of his birth. And he wouldn't allow it for this reason, so that men are not allowed to make an idol out of the day. Interestingly enough, men have managed to do that anyway, but it's just a day they made up. Almighty God would not allow us to know the date that the Lord was born in Bethlehem because we don't worship a date. We worship the Savior who was born in the flesh. And you know, for all the, the people, you know, that they, they go they go to a church service and twice a week on, on Christmas and Easter, you know. But you know that the Scriptures never tell us to celebrate the birth of the Savior. The Scriptures tell us to celebrate the death and the resurrection of the Savior. We're to to celebrate the death of Christ, the the God-man, as the substitute for his people. And we do that by preaching Christ. We do that by telling folks what it is that that Christ, the, the Son of God and the Son of Man, what is it that he accomplished by his death? We celebrate the Lord's death in believer's baptism, don't we? It's a picture of the death, burial and resurrection of Christ. When a person is, confesses Christ in, in baptism, they're confessing this is the only way I could be saved by the death, the burial and the resurrection of Christ for me. We celebrate the Lord's death just like we did last night when we observe the Lord's table, remembering his broken body and his shed blood, his sacrifice for me. And the scriptures also tell us, celebrate the resurrection of the Savior. We don't do that just just once a year on Easter Sunday. We do that every Sunday. Every Sunday. We celebrate the Lord's resurrection by meeting together in a public worship service on Sunday, on the first day of the week. You know why we don't worship on Saturday? I mean, it'd be fine if if we met together on a Saturday to worship. But you know why Sunday is the appointed day? That's the day Christ arose from the dead. We meet together today on Sunday. We're remembering this is the day of the week that the the Lord arose from the dead. We celebrate the Lord's resurrection by preaching what does the resurrection of Christ mean? The resurrection of Christ means his sacrifice put away the sin of his people. That's what it means. The Lord Jesus Christ was made sin for his people and his blood put all that sin away. His sacrifice justified His people from all of their sin. And the proof of it is His resurrection. The Father never would have raised Him from the dead if the sin that was laid on Him was still there. No, the Father raised Him from the dead because the blood of Christ put that sin that had been charged to Him away forever. So December the 25th is not our Lord's birthday. But let's not hate on people who talk about it, who talk about the Lord's death at that time of year. I remember Brother Henry saying one time, don't be a Christian Scrooge. It's a good thing for us and a good thing for the world to be reminded the Savior was indeed born as a man in Bethlehem's manger. It wasn't December 25th, but you know who really cares? It's a good thing to be reminded of that. And God's people have the added blessing when, when we're reminded during that holiday season of the Lord's birth, you turn on, on the radio where you normally hear you know, Fleetwood Mac or something, and now you're hearing, hark, the herald angels sing. It's good for us to be reminded. God's people can be reminded, this is the Savior who saved me. He came in the flesh to save me. What a miracle. What a miracle. We celebrate and remember the Lord's death and his resurrection, don't we? None of that would be possible unless he was born in the flesh. So it's a good thing for us to be reminded. Christ was born in the flesh. And in our text, when the angel Gabriel appeared to Mary, he told her what the Savior, her firstborn son, is going to accomplish after his birth and his earthly ministry. And all of this was astonishing to Mary. I mean, can you just imagine how astonishing this was to this girl she just a teenager what a what an astonishing thing and she asked a good question how shall this be how's this possible how shall it be that a virgin is going to give birth to a son and how is it that son is going to be the son of God how shall that be how shall it be that my son is going to put away the sin of his people. How, how, how shall that be? That's a good question, isn't it? And I see four specific questions that Mary's asking. When she said, how shall this be? And the answers to those four questions are going to tell us who Christ is and how it is he saved his people from their sin. So first of all, Mary asked, how shall a virgin give birth to a son? In verse 34, Luke 1 Then said Mary unto the angel, how shall this be? Seeing I know not a man. Now the only way a child can be conceived is the union of a man and a woman. There's got to be a union of the egg and the seed. That's the only way it's possible a child can be conceived. Well, Mary didn't know a man. She's a virgin. So how is it possible? It seems impossible that she could ever become pregnant. How shall it be? that a that a, a virgin shall conceive a son and bring forth a, uh, and bear a son. Well, there's several reasons. Number one is this. Nothing's too hard for God. That's what the angel tells her in verse 37. For with God, nothing should be impossible. You know, Mary thought it's impossible. And humanly speaking, it is. Isn't it? It's impossible for a virgin to conceive and bear a son. It's impossible. But nothing's too hard for God. You remember when the rich young ruler came to our Savior, and he talked to him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he and the Savior talked. And, th- and this, 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 this man, oh, he was, he was self-righteous. He was sincere. Now, I give him that, but he was self-righteous. He said, all these things have I done from my youth up. Outwardly, you can't, you can't find something, that, a way that I, I've broken the law. But he went away sorrowful, didn't he? He he outwardly kept the law, but he couldn't trust Christ unless God gave him faith in Christ. He went away sorrowful, and the disciples were amazed, remember? And they said, Well, who then can be saved? Remember what the Lord told them? With men, this is impossible. It's impossible with men that we could save ourselves, make ourselves righteous, justify ourselves from our sin. But thankfully, the Lord went on and he said, but with God, all things are possible. With God, nothing shall be impossible because nothing's too hard for God. Mary's firstborn is going to be conceived without the aid of a man. He's going to be conceived by the Holy Ghost. Look at verse 35. And the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the son of God. Now the Lord Jesus, Mary's firstborn son, he's going to be the son of God and the son of man. He's going to be both. He'll be the son of God. So he has the power. So he has the righteousness. So he has the holiness. So he has the pure, perfect blood to put away the sin of his people. And he'll be the son of man. So that he can be the representative of sinful men and women like you and me. Now, how shall it be? How shall this be that a virgin will conceive and bear son? Well, with God, nothing's impossible. His Spirit's going to conceive this child. And second, how shall this be? How's this going to be? Why is this going to be? That a virgin's going to conceive and bear son. It's to fulfill the scriptures. Look back at Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. In verse 10. Moreover the Lord spake again unto Ahaz, saying, Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God. Ask it either in the depth or in the height above. And Ahaz said, I will not ask. I'm not going to ask for a sign. Neither will I tempt tempt the Lord. I don't need a sign, and know the Lord's going to do what He said He's going to do. And He said, "Hear ye now, house of David. It is—is is it a small thing for you to weary men? But will you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord Himself shall give you a sign. You're not going. You no, know, you're not asking for a sign. God's going to give you one. And here it is. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name." Emmanuel, Emmanuel means God with us, God dwelling with us as a man conceived of a virgin come to save his people from their sin. The Lord Jesus Christ is born of a virgin as a sign from God that nobody could possibly miss. This is the Messiah that God has promised This is the one God promised to send, to put away the sin of his people and God always keeps his promise. Now here's a clear sign, here he is. He's been born of a virgin. God told Ahaz that in 700 A.D., 700 years before Christ was born. He told him he's going to be born of a virgin. This is going to be the Savior. And every single time God saves a sinner, these two things are true. Nothing's too hard for God, and the scriptures have been fulfilled. Nothing's too hard for God. You and I might give up hope on some poor lost sinner. We think they're too far gone, they're too rebellious, they're too hardened in their sin, but let me tell you, there's no case too hard for God. That encourages me to keep praying for the lost, to keep praying for my loved ones, doesn't it? Nothing's too hard for God. Nobody's so far gone, God can't save them. His arm's not shortened. He can save his people. And he will. Nobody's so sinful that the blood of Christ can't wash them white as snow. Nobody's natural heart is so hard God can't give them a new one. Nothing's too hard for God. And every single time God saves one of his people, the scriptures are fulfilled. God promised he'd do it, didn't he? And he promised he'd do it through the preaching of scripture, through the preaching of the word. Every single time God saves one of his people, it's always by the preaching of God's word. The Holy Spirit moves powerfully and suddenly what you used to, you can understand. Everybody here can understand this book. Everybody. I mean, this book is written in one and two and three syllable words. Everybody can understand what this book's saying. The problem is not that you don't understand it. The problem is by nature we don't believe it. And suddenly... You find yourself believing what you've always heard but never believed. What happened? The Holy Spirit took that word, the seed of the word of God, and planted it in your heart and gave you life. Now, only God could do that. Only God has the power to give a new birth. Somebody say, how can I have two natures in one body? <laughs> Nothing's too hard for God. That's how. <laughs> Nothing's too hard for God. All right. The virgin's going to give birth to a son. But here's a good question why? Why must a virgin give birth to the Messiah, to the Savior? Why? Why is it that we insist on the virgin birth? I mean, really, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? The virgin birth is so important because of the truth of representation. You cannot understand the gospel. You cannot understand how it is God saves sinners until you understand this truth of representation. All men were made sinners by representation. By what Adam did. When Adam sinned, every last one of us sinned in him because we were in him. We were in our father Adam. We did what our representative did. We became guilty in Adam. It wasn't like We were, you know, there sinning. We actually did sin in our father, Adam. That's representation. And when Adam fell, the only nature that he could pass on to his children was a spiritually dead nature. You know why Cain killed his brother Abel? He got a dead spiritual nature from his father. That's exactly why he did it. See, you and I don't become sinners the first time we sin. We became sinners in Adam. And we commit sin because we're already sinners. We commit sin because that's the nature that we already have. We are conceived in sin. We are conceived as sinners because that's the only nature our Father had to pass on to us, is a sinful nature. And when we sin, all we're doing is this, showing that we've received Adam's nature from his sinful seed. And somebody will think, well, that's not fair. That's not fair. You know, when when our girls were, were growing up, Janet, never let our girls say that's not fair about anything. <laughs> Just any, she never let them say. For this reason right here, that we would never say that's not fair to God. Is it really not fair? You're, you're saying I never had a chance to be righteous. You're, never, you're saying I never had a chance to do anything good for myself. That's not fair. Well, all right, let me ask you this. How are you doing on your own? Not too good, are you? <laughs> Not too good. If we hadn't been made sinners in Adam, we'd have done it our own selves, wouldn't we? We sure would have. And the beauty of representation is this if one representative man could make us sinners, another representative man can make us righteous. See, if each of us had to stand on our own, when I sinned, I'd have no hope. I, I, I can't undo what I've done to myself. But if one representative man made me a sinner, another representative man can make me righteous. So the Lord Jesus, he had to be born of the Holy Ghost. So he's born from holy seed. So he'd have a perfect holy nature. See, if our Lord would have been born from the sinful seed of his foster father, Joseph, he'd have been a partaker in Adam's sin because that's the only nature Joseph had to pass on to him. If Adam had been, con- or if, if Christ had been conceived by Adam's sin, by Adam's seed, he'd had a sin nature and wouldn't be able to save anybody. He'd had a sin nature and wouldn't been able to make anybody righteous. But since the Savior was born of the seed of woman, see, that's what we just sung about, wasn't it? The seed of woman. Not the seed of a man. Well, he doesn't have a sin nature. And since he doesn't have a sin nature, he can establish righteousness for his people. He can obey the law for his people. He can save his people from their sin by his sinless blood. His sinless blood offered as a sacrifice for their sin. See, this is the wisdom of God and how God saves sinners by a representative man. We're made sinners by one representative man, but saved by another. Now, the salvation of a sinner making a, a sinner be righteous and holy. It, it's the most complicated thing in this world, isn't it? I mean, how, it's a miracle. It's, what a mystery. But it's so simple. <laughs> it's so simple, it's found in this, two representative men. That's the wisdom of God and how God could, could be just and still justify his people by the sacrifice of his son. See, in, in Christ we see, oh, The salvation of God's gracious, isn't it? How he saves his people. What grace that the father would sacrifice his only begotten son to be able to to put away the sin and save sinners like you and me. Oh, that's gracious, isn't it? But it's also wise. Don't you see the wisdom in this? That God would justify his people in justice through the sacrifice of his Son. Now, the natural man is never going to understand this, will never understand the truth of representation. They always want to stand on their own. But God's people love it. God's people love it. Chris, that's what we were talking about before the service. Aren't you glad you have to stand on your own? Oh, there'd be no standing. If I had to stand on my own, there'd be no standing, would there? Oh, we can rest in Christ. He came in the flesh to make his people righteous. All right, here's the third thing. How shall Mary's son reign forever on the throne of David? Back in our text, Luke 1, verse 31. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great. and He shall be called the son of the highest And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. And Mary says, how shall this be? You think of the once mighty house of David. King David. Oh, how Israel prospered under King David. And he turned the kingdom over to his son Solomon. And oh, the kingdom was blessed even more. Blessed with peace and prosperity and riches. A wise king. Oh, they were so blessed. And from then till now, Jacob's, or Jacob, David's powerful, glorious house is reduced to nothing. David's house come down to Joseph. Joseph, instead of being heir to the throne instead of, instead of being in somehow in line uh, to, to the throne of Israel, is a poor, poverty-stricken carpenter. I mean, just a working man, just working paycheck to paycheck, trying his best to make ends meet. There's no glory, there's no recognition, there's no servants, there's nothing. There's no thought of a throne. All he's thinking about is, I'm going to have food for tomorrow. That's all he's thinking about. Mary's in, in the house and lineage of, of David. She's a poor teenage girl from nobody from nowhere. I mean, nobody ever would have ever known her name if she wasn't highly favored of God. I mean, the house of David is reduced to nothing. And she says, how shall this be? Okay, a virgin's going to conceive and bear son. What a mystery. Now you're telling me that I'm, I'm poverty stricken. You're telling me my son's going to be king of Israel? How shall this be? Well, Mary's son, remember, is also the Son of God. He's the King of Kings. Of course, he sits on the throne. And he's going to do it eternally. Now, the Son always is heir to the Father's throne, right? That's why. Prince Charles is is now now the king. He's the firstborn of of, of his mother. The Lord Jesus Christ is the son of God. But you know, that's not the only reason he sits upon the throne. Christ's right to rule, Christ's right to sit on the throne and be there eternally is doubly sure. That throne doubly belongs to Christ. Here's what I mean by that. The throne of God is Christ. By birth... And by, and by nature, and by nature, the Son of God has the rightful heir to the throne. So that's one way the throne belongs to him, right? He's the Son of God. It's his by nature. But the throne of God also belongs to Christ because he earned it. He earned it. He earned the right to have that throne. He bought it with his own precious blood he pleased his father fully brought in everlasting righteousness and made his people righteous he bought the right he bought the right to sit on the throne now the savior who sits on the throne of God and rules eternally must rule in righteousness he must look back at Isaiah chapter 9 see this is something Mary more than likely knew from the Old Testament scriptures the messiah must reign in righteousness and he must bring righteousness into his people isaiah 9 verse 6 for unto us a child is born a human child is born and unto us a son is given the son of god well he wasn't born was he he was given he was born in the flesh but the son of god wasn't born; he was given and the government should be upon his shoulder and his name should be called wonderful Counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace, there should be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice. From henceforth, even forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. Now that word justice in verse 7, I don't know why it it was translated justice, Almost always that Hebrew word, when you find it in scripture, is translated righteousness. He's going to reign in righteousness. He's going to bring in everlasting righteousness for his people. And he performed that righteousness in his zeal. In his zeal to obey his father. In his zeal to sacrifice himself to put away the sin of his people. Mary's firstborn son is very different than all the rest of her children. He had a zeal to obey God's law because this is the way he's bringing in righteousness to his people. From a child, he had a zeal. Remember that time they, they left Jerusalem or I think it was in Jerusalem where they were at and they went and all this, this time away and found out that, that the Lord wasn't there and they went back and found him and he was, he was in there, and this 12-year-old boy is teaching, teaching the, the doctors and the Pharisees and the doctors of, of theologies, teaching them the scriptures. And they were amazed. And he said, don't you know, I must be about my father's business. There was a zeal in this for him. He wasn't just going through the motions. I hate this about myself when I find myself going through the motions. I mean, I hate it. I hate it. My dad always said any job worth doing is a job worth doing right. And boy, I mean, I just hate if I go through the motions. Our Savior didn't go through the motions for one second of His life. He had a zeal to please and to honor His Father. He established His throne in righteousness and in judgment. That word judgment means justice. Mary's son is going to establish righteousness for His people. He's going to obey the law for them as their representative. And that that obedience is theirs because they were in Him doing what He did. And he's going to establish justice for his people by being made sin for them, by taking their sin away from them and making it his and putting it away by his death as their sacrifice. You see, God's justice is satisfied by the death of Christ on the cross. Justice is satisfied and his people are made righteous. A sinful people who can't think a good thought, who can't can't desire a holy thing, They're sinners. Through and through, all they are is sin. Everything they think, everything they say, everything they do, everything they want to do is sin. And Mary could ask, how shall this be? That those people will be made righteous. How can you make somebody the opposite of what they are by nature? It's the death of Christ on the cross. For he, God the Father, has made him, God the Son, sin for us. That what? we might be made the righteousness of God. As righteous as the Son of God in Him. Oh, what a, what a gospel we have to preach. And because of the successful sacrifice of Christ, the Father has made His Son Lord of all. I'll give you homework assignments. you go going to read that in Philippians 2 this afternoon. Because of His successful work, because He did everything the Father gave Him to do, He gave him the throne See, he earned the right to have that throne and now our savior rules over all eternally and here's how that directly affects you and me here's why this is so important the kingship of Christ he's the king he's the sovereign over everything absolutely nothing happens in his creation without his direct will nothing here's why that's so important If our Savior is king over all, nothing can take away the salvation of his people that he purposed for them. He purchased for them. See, he preserves it for them in his royal might. It's not by their strength. It's by his. By his. The zeal of the Lord of hosts is going to perform this. Now, his zeal brought in righteousness for his people. And his zeal is going to bring them all the glory to be with him. Nothing can stop it from happening. Nothing can stop his will from happening because he's king over all. Now, fourthly, how can I find favor with God? How is it I can be blessed among all people in God's creation? How is it I can be blessed with God's grace? Verse 28. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Now here's another thing that, that uh, false religion has, has drilled into people's minds and, and, and made it so like that Mary is on a, on a different plane than you and me. She's not. Let me just tell you that she's not. Mary is not more highly favored than any other man or woman God's ever saved. Not at all. Mary is not an intercessor between you and Jesus. No, sir. No, she's not. There's one mediator between God and man. The man, Christ Jesus. Mary's not the mediator. Christ is. Her son is. But Mary was highly favored. That's what Gabriel told her. You're highly favored. And you know what that phrase highly favored means? Much graced. You're much graced. you just grace has been heaped upon you. You're graciously accepted among women. Not above other women, but among women. Now there is no doubt what a blessing it was. What, what an honor. What a responsibility that the Lord chose Mary to be the mother of his son. To be the mother of the Savior. Reckon that was kind of scary to her. I remember when the boy special when Jan was, was pregnant with our firstborn, Holly. I mean the thought of being a daddy scared me to death. How am I going to do this? Well, I mean, how am I going to feed this child and clothe this child and do all I mean, I was so worried. You think how worried Mary must have been to think be the mother of the Messiah. I mean, just That's a blessing, isn't it? That's an honor. And you know, you everybody wants to be honored of God, but well, just remember this By every honor of God I can think of, He gives to, gives to the sons of men, comes with great responsibility too. What a responsibility this was. She was honored. No question about it. But she's not more graced than any other woman. Any other woman God, God saved. Or any other man for, for, for that matter. Now we might think. Well I sure would like to be highly favored. I'd like to be much graced. From God Almighty. Wouldn't you? I'd like to be much graced. Would do you know? You can be just as graced. And just as accepted as the mother of our Lord, you sure can see. Here's what Mary, I believe, is she. Part of what she's asking is this: How shall this be that I should receive such grace, such abundance of grace? How how shall this be that of all people on earth I should be the one who's much graced? I'm nobody. I'm nobody. Well, that's true, Mary. You are nobody. You were nobody before you became the mother of the Lord, and you're nobody after in yourself, nobody after that you gave birth to the Lord. You're a nobody. That's all right. That's who God saves. God saves nobodies from nowhere. And I want to ask you a question. You, You answer this question in your heart. Are you a nobody? I mean, are you a nobody? That you don't deserve anything from God but wrath. Because of your sin. Are you a nobody? You got nothing. There's absolutely nothing about you. That could recommend you to God. That could make you be more savable. Than somebody else. I mean you you have no hope in yourself. The only hope that you could think. You could ever have is God's grace. That's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you such a nobody. That Christ is your only hope. Well if you are my friend, you're highly favored. You're much graced of God. You've been highly favored. God's enabled you to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, if you trust in Christ, you're highly favored. And Almighty God has given you all of the grace that He has for a sinner. He's given it all to you in the person of His Son. See, the only way grace could come to sinners like you and me is by God's son being born of a virgin. He had to come as a man. He had to come in our flesh with our nature for the sole purpose of establishing righteousness, by obeying the law for his people, by putting their sin away by the sacrifice of himself. Now, kind of like how I I said at the beginning of the message, most importantly, we're thankful for the death christ our substitute It's the only way our sin can be put away his sacrifice is our substitute his blood shed for our sin we're thankful for his obedience aren't we his obedience to the law it's the only obedience we have it's the only way i could be made righteous is if christ obeyed the law for me and oh i'm thankful for his resurrection i'm so glad that he didn't die and stay in that tomb his resurrection means his sacrifice put away the sin of his people and nothing can, 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 can ever condemn them anymore. That's what his resurrection means. I'm thankful. I'm thankful for his death. I'm thankful for his resurrection. But I'm telling you what, none of that would be possible unless Christ was born of a virgin. So that's why I said, don't hate on people talking about it all, all, all through December. Be thankful somebody's talking about it. I know they don't understand. But by God's grace, you do. So enjoy thinking on these things. Mary said, how shall this be? Well, you know. Enjoy thinking on these things. And really, the easy question is how shall these things be? That's the easy question. Nothing's too hard for God. This is just God doing His purpose, accomplishing what He promised that He'd do. Here's the question. Why? Why did Christ come in the flesh, he came to save the worst sinners that could be found in God's creation and make them righteous by his obedience and his sacrifice for them. That's why he came. I sure am glad he came, aren't you? I sure am glad. All right, let's bow together. Our Father, we're thankful for this passage that we've read. What a mystery, the incarnation of Christ, that Almighty God became a man in order to redeem his people from their sin. And while this is a great mystery, Father, we're thankful that you may know to us everything we need to know about the incarnation, the birth of Christ in the flesh, that he came to save his people from their sin, and that's exactly what he did. Father, we're so thankful We're so thankful for a Savior who came in our flesh, in our nature, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. How can we ever thank you? We can't thank you enough. Father, we're thankful that he's come. Thankful that the Savior came, suffered, died, and rose again as a justification for his people. Father, I pray this not just be an historical fact to each of us here this morning that you take your word and apply it to our hearts, that we might believe on him, that we might trust him, that we might find in him our all and in all. Father, we do pray this for our sakes. We pray that you'd forgive us of our sins, that have the blessing of forgiveness, to have the blessing of righteousness. Father, we do ask for our sakes, how desperately we need you. But also we ask for the glory of Christ our Savior. Father, would you be pleased to glorify your son in saving sinful men and women like we are here. Father, for your glory, for the sake of of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the sake of his name and his glory, we ask. Amen. All right, Sean.